Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is Friday, the 17th of May, 2019, and there's a lot to talk about. Everyone's getting really antsy, including myself. I'm really upset that we still haven't had them indicted. Uh, you know, we need the indictments to come, but it seems every single time it's coming, more things are exposed. Today, there is lots to talk about, from immigration policy to nefarious workings of Perkins Coy, to the Flynn further redactions, you know, unsealing, that revealed something, some things that are so interesting. And you know, when you read through things, you're like, uh-huh, that's interesting. And then you this light goes off. That, I'll hold off till the end of the show. Uh, it is mind-blowing. Now, I wanted to start with the immigration only because it's very, very active uh, in regards to talks, in regards to what people are saying. Uh, you know, all these cities, all these congresspersons, senators are complaining that they're going to get what they've always been promoting and advocating for, and that's illegal immigrants. They chant and push agendas for open borders. They demand that illegal immigrants be allowed to freely enter our country. Yet when you're telling them, all right, then you ask for it, take it. They're like, well, that's inhumane. You're going to turn our city into a homeless camp. We don't have money. We won't have enough money to feed our own people. They will asphyxiate our social services within our city. Well, then why are you voting for the laws? You want to asphyxiate other cities, other counties? No. You can't, you can't advocate for them and then say you don't want to. And you know what? Cities were selected that were not sanctuary cities. I mean, Debbie Wasserman Sult attacked the president, his wall of hate. How dare he? They should be allowed to come in here. This border is bigotry, racism. Everyone has the right to live and work in the United States. No, they don't. And now... So people won't say, oh, he's just sending them to sanctuary cities. We're sending them to cities that seem to be rich, that seem to be protesting all the time against the wall and um, deporting people. So we're going to give them what they what they advocate for. Uh, I wanted to play uh, the clip of our president talking about his immigration policy and the merit system. You know, throughout the world, there's a point system in order to become a citizen. Uh, Once I had flirted with the idea of relocating to Australia and my husband was like, well, can't we just wait till the kids get out of the house first? Before And I was like, well, if the kids leave the house, I want to move to Africa. That's the new uh, place to be. It's going to be popping in, you know, 10 years. And uh, 
I remember that when I was looking for the relocation and just kind of getting a canvas idea of it, they want to see that you can contribute to their country. They will not let you in. There's a point system. And this is what was put forward. And I, and I find it pretty exciting. Please. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're here on this very beautiful spring day in the Rose Garden to unveil our plan to create a fair, modern, and lawful system of immigration for the United States. And it's about time. If adopted, our plan will transform America's immigration system into the pride of our nation and the envy of the modern world. Our proposal builds upon our nation's rich history of immigration while strengthening the bonds of citizenship that bind us together as a national family. Throughout our history, we have proudly welcomed newcomers to our shores. Out of many people, from many places, we have forged one people and one nation under God, and we're very proud of it. We share the same home, we share the same destiny, and we pledge allegiance to the same great American flag. Our policies have turbocharged our economy. Now, we must implement an immigration system that will allow our citizens to prosper for generations to come. Today, we are presenting a clear contrast. Democrats are proposing open borders, lower wages, and, frankly, lawless chaos. We are proposing an immigration plan that puts the jobs, wages, and safety of American workers first. Our proposal is pro-American, pro-immigrant, and pro-worker. It's just common sense. It will help all of our people including millions of devoted immigrants, to achieve the American dream. We are grateful to be joined this afternoon by a tremendous number of people from the House, the Senate, and my Cabinet. And I love you all, but I won't introduce you all because I'll be here all day long. But you're all here. Our plan achieves two critical goals. First, it stops illegal immigration and fully secures the border. And second, it establishes a new legal immigration system that protects American wages, promotes American values, and attracts the best and brightest from all around the world. The proposal begins with the most complete and effective border security package ever assembled by our country or any other country, for that matter. So important. This plan was not developed, I'm sorry to say, by politicians. We have a lot of politicians. But you respect the people and you know the people that have developed this plan. 
It was designed with significant input from our great law enforcement professionals to detail what they need to make our border, which is 100 percent operationally secure, 100 percent. Everyone agrees that the physical infrastructure on the border and the ports of entry is gravely underfunded and woefully inadequate. We scan only a small fraction of the vehicles, goods, and all of the other things coming across, including people. And sadly, the drugs pour across our border. We're going to stop it. Investment in technology will ensure we scan 100 percent of everything coming through, curbing the flow of drugs and contraband while speeding up legal trade and commerce. It's the most heavily traded monetarily border anywhere in the world, and it's not even close. To make certain that we are constantly making the upgrades we need, our proposal creates a permanent and self-sustaining border security trust fund. This will be financed by the fees and revenues generated at the border crossings itself. Importantly, we're already building the wall, and we should have close to 400 miles built by the end of next year, and probably even more than that. It's going up very rapidly. And I want to thank the Army Corps of Engineers for doing a fantastic job on the wall. And that's a wall that is desperately needed. As we close the gaps, in our physical framework, we must also close the gaps in our legal framework. Critical to ending the border crisis is removing all incentives for smuggling women and children. Current law Next slide. That's right. Women and children, people have no idea how bad it is unless you're there and unless you are a member of law enforcement. They see it every day and they can't believe what they see. Current law and federal court rulings encourage criminal organizations to smuggle children across the border. The tragic result is that 65 percent of all border crossers this year were either minors or adults traveling with minors. Our plan will change the law to stop the flood of child smuggling and to humanely reunite unaccompanied children with their families back home and rapidly, soon as possible. We must also restore the integrity of our broken asylum system. Our nation has a proud history of affording protection to those fleeting government persecutions. Unfortunately, legitimate asylum seekers are being displaced by those lodging frivolous claims. These are frivolous claims to gain admission into our country. Asylum abuse also strains our public school systems, our hospitals and local shelters, using funds that we should and that have to go to elderly veterans, at-risk youth, Americans in poverty, and those in 
genuine need of protection. We're using the funds that should be going to them. And that shouldn't happen. And it's not going to happen in a very short period of time. Okay, so I'm just going to pause it there before we continue. But what I wanted you guys to understand is that there is a well-thought-out plan in regards to how to meet the demand for the new jobs that are being created. This is something I talked about last week, how rebuilding our economy and having a job unemployment rate of 2.9% is incredible. But considering with all these tariffs and all these companies coming back to the United States, manufacturing, uh, you know, starting to get this new second wind of life, steel, coal, oil, all these jobs that are being created, we don't have enough people. And more so, we don't have enough skilled people. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, you know, uh, they saw how uh, Senator Kramer which is from North Dakota, was pushing forward for, you know, H-1B visas and putting forward to get these people vetted. And a lot of people are like, oh, so now that they're creating jobs, they want to bring foreigners in to take them from Americans. Stop. There's not enough. Uh, There are not enough trained, qualified young adults to be able to fill lower or mid-executive positions. Unfortunately for us, the generations that are between the ages of 18 and 30 at the moment are dumb. They all have degrees in things that can't really produce anything. But the majority, they, they, a staggering, okay, staggering, 32% of college graduates have their undergraduate degree in something like gender studies, you know, uh, feminism, and other fruity topics that, you know, can only be applied as a barista uh, at Starbucks or, you know, as a volunteer uh, to save, uh, you know, whatever species of the week it is. The bottom line is, is that we need to increase our population, but with the right people. We need to increase uh, our ability to meet the demand because if we're putting tariffs and we're going to be making American, we need to meet that demand. We need to meet our internal demand so that way prices don't gauge. Uh, We need to meet the external demand on exports. And, And this is very important because President Trump has started to expedite new trade agreements with countries. And yesterday that was actually made mention with his meeting with the president of Switzerland, which is the first time ever that a U.S. president has invited the president of Switzerland. So we are creating a sound immigration plan because indeed the United States is a nation built upon immigrants, immigrants that would want to come here and work want to come here and set roots, want to come here and become Americans. And you know, in this day and age, it's very, very easy to parse them out. Very easy. From social media to banking records, because when you apply to become a citizen or when you apply to get a green card, they go through everything. I know that from back in the day when my husband did it to get his alien residency here. They look at everything. And this is, uh, for me, this is a good thing. Now, in regards to the illegal immigration, like he said, we're spending billions and billions of dollars on people that are, that, that are not 
bonafide asylum seekers. They're just people that hopped onto the caravan, were told they were going to be fed, and yeah, you can go to America. We'll make it happen. They're filing bogus asylum claims, like he said. Bogus. I mean, I've written an article. I've talked about it with you guys, with Cindy on air, how they're creating these fake marriages on the Mexican side. So people are just pairing up, pretending they're married, then slapping on a kid too, just to make it look like a family and go forward. This, we were forced to release 100,000 people into our nation. Obviously, you pick the lowest risk ones, the ones where you verify through DNA testing that there are their kids, but that is about it. So now, in lieu of, you know, everyone fighting this wall, in lieu of Congress not giving us the money, in lieu of all of this, we are creating a sound immigration plan and... We are now going to let the cities of those congresspersons who do not want to build a wall, who do not want to maintain our national security, they're going to be sending busloads of these people to them. See how quick Palm Beach, Florida becomes, uh, has high crime. I mean, it's not like they did it in Broward County is known for like fraudulent elections, high crime. Now, the taxpayers, the homeowners there will have to foot the bill to feed, clothe, and house all these people. You know, they complained. They were really upset. This is, you know, uh, uh, appalling. This is inhumane that you're just going to drop them off. But they're being dropped off all over Mexico, Arizona, New Mexico, uh, New Mexico, Texas, uh, Arizona, South uh, Cal- Southern California. Like they are invading these places. And instead of them invading them, let them come to you. You think you're safe where you are? Take a taste. Let's see what you think. Let's see how you're going to vote when your constituents say, We shouldn't have them because it's very easy for someone in the middle of nowhere to advocate for illegal immigration and open borders when it's not in their backyard. When it's in their backyard, they suddenly change tune. We saw share flip. Let's see how dropping them off two busloads a week with hundreds of illegal immigrants are going to be dropped off to Broward County. They are foaming at the mouth. Yet all of them support protests, support, you know, any um, demonstrations, uh, calling the president racist for wanting a wall, racist for wanting to deport illegal immigrants that are literally mooching off our system. They are taking money that should be, like he said, spent on elderly veterans, on American citizens that are disabled, on American children. Why should they only get $100 of food stamp if mom is going through a divorce, doesn't have a job or doesn't have a husband, is single? Why should the baby suffer and only get this much for food and obviously not for diapers and stuff like that when we can give it to them? But yet we're giving it to these illegal immigrants. They get free clothing, free food, free housing, but our impoverished American citizens, our people that need our help because of bad life choices, because of circumstances, whatever it may be, we can help our neighbors. Why does my neighbor have to live in a four by four apartment? Okay. Yeah. They made bad choices, but why don't we help them?
Why is it that a family of four, the minute the head of household gets fired, they could be homeless? Why don't we have money to help them? Because we're giving it to illegal immigrants. And you know, Washington Schultz had said that it's going to cost us more money to deport illegal immigrants than it is to house them and take care of them. No, it isn't. And her city is going to show you that they're going to burn through whatever money they have. They're going to get loans like crazy. The city's going to be in complete debt. Just that one city with what? Let's see. Couple thousand immigrants being dropped off within the year, they're gonna go broke. They're not gonna have the ability, not, yeah, well, it would be an average of like what, 10,000 a year. So within a month, you're gonna see them complaining. Within a month, there's gonna be crime because I'm sorry. If you drop someone off and they can't get a job, you're not feeding them, you're not housing them, you're not giving them health care, and they, you know, they can't work because they don't speak the language then what happens? These people are going to turn to crime because they want to survive. It's not like they can go out hunting, you know, to go get food. They need to steal it. It's not like they can go, you know, um, to an apartment and just live there freely. They have to pay for it. So in order to pay for it, they're going to steal the money. This is how crime rises. It's not like they come here and they're like, yep, I'm going to go commit crimes. That's not how it works. The majority of these people that decided, yeah, I'm going to get on this bandwagon and enter the United States, whatever. It's going to be way better than wherever I am. And it's not. How many of us want to relocate to Mexico? I do. They've got great weather. It's super laid back and people take naps during the day, but they're going to leave that to come to the United States because they find it that it's more industrious. They want a change of scene. I get it. But when they come here, they're not coming to be criminals. They're coming to be taken care of until they can take care of themselves. But what if you can't take care of them? What if you don't have money? Then you have societal collapse. That was a whole plan of the Democratic Party. That's how quickly you can move people into socialism by collapsing the infrastructure. And that was the whole plan. So now we're going to give them a taste of the infrastructure in those areas where these people who are elected promote such behavior. Because this is where everybody can turn around and say, well, we kind of told you that they're invading. We kind of told you we don't have anywhere to put them. We kind of told you all this and you think we have unlimited money in the United States. Now take them into your house or leave them on the street. And if you leave them on the street, they're going to have to turn to crime. It's not like they have a choice. What are they going to do? There's going to only be so many homeless shelters, only going to be so many churches that are going to take them in. At some point, they're going to run out of money, out of food. And this is how crime develops. It's not like someone wakes up and says, I'm going to go commit a crime. It's because they don't have the means. You know, except for, you know, the twisted individuals, (laughs) you know, that kill people or get a kick out of causing harm. But the majority of people, when they steal something, when they embezzle something, or it's because it's out of their, their mind's necessity. I mean, can you really fault the single mom that goes and steals a pack of diapers? Not really. Or formula? Not really. You can't. You're like, man, you must be really desperate. You don't even have money to buy your kid diapers. How can I help you? That's what we should be doing rather than throwing them in jail. But anyway, but this is what we're going to see. These people are going to be coming into our country, dumped off into these cities like Palm Beach, Florida, Broward County, right? And there's only going to be so many that can, be, that can fit to whatever structures they have now. There's only going to be so many churches. And at some point, they're all going to run out of money and people are going to get tired of it. 
They don't have enough jobs for them that, you know, especially if they don't speak English. Uh, you know, they're going to be uh, get into the school system. So these kids don't have money and they go into the school system. So the school is going to be obliged to pay for a English as a second language teacher. They're going to be getting free lunches. They're going to be going through other programs. So that takes more money out of the county's budget for those kids. Think about it. Th- this is like real stuff. You know, when people talk about immigration, they think, oh, they come in. We're going to take care of them. They're going to get That's not how it works. That is not how it works. And I, myself, being a victim of identity theft, I can tell you that the person, the persons who were using my identity, one of them has like five kids from what I remember and was working, like legit working. And the reason they bought my social security number off wherever they did and used it was because they couldn't work otherwise. And so they turned to that crime as opposed to robbing someone every day to feed their family. They decided I'll work my butt off, work three jobs with three different social security numbers and provide for my family. They want to work, but the, the, the structure wasn't there because they didn't come here correctly. I mean, They could have done something all this time they were here, right? They could have went and said, listen, I broke the law and I came in, but, you know, I created a family. I want to work. Uh, Can you help me? Can I have a temporary number? I'd like to apply. They didn't do any of that. Why? Because they were happy with the benefits they were getting, you know, uh, as illegal immigrants. I mean, think our students, our children that are born within the United States pay for college, But people who come through the border illegally don't have to. Think about that for a second. That's wild, isn't it, right? You break the law to come into the country. You're here illegally and you get a free education. Yet the ones that are American citizens have to pay for it. It's really not fair. And what the president is doing in regards to this policy, it's awesome. We're going to get great growth as a country, as a nation, uh, in regards to population. And we're also going to be able to regulate the kind of migration we'd like. And, um, and that is, we want people that want to be American and that want to work and have the ability to do so. I'll see you all in just a few right after this short break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr. and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. 
Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So just to continue on the uh, previous half hour, I just want to play the uh, a little portion of his speech that I really liked. I mean, he went into comparing us to Canada because Canada's like, we're doing great. They're not. We're doing this. They're not. You know, and he's trying to say that, you know, all these countries still have a merit system. Canada does too. Um, and sponsorship programs. Like, say, for example, I have a cousin who is an amazing chef. He works in the Netherlands right now and he works at a hotel there. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying like when I see the stuff that he creates on Facebook, it's like, dude, I want to open up a restaurant and sponsor you to come here and cook like his hands. And, and you know what? His mom, my aunt, best cook in the world. Of course he would become the best chef. I mean, and they're really dainty looking too. So he's a great chef. He would be a great asset to our nation too. He would because he'd be a chef feeding us really nice food and elevating our palates. I mean, I'm just saying this is a little example. In the United States, I can actually sponsor him. I can sponsor him, I guess, if I opened up a restaurant, but I can, um, we don't really have a familial sponsorship to bring our family unless they can produce something, I guess. So this is what he was talking about. Just take a listen to what he says. Proposal fulfills our sacred duty to those living here today while ensuring America remains a welcoming country to immigrants joining us tomorrow. And we want immigrants coming in. We cherish the open door that we want to create for our country. But a big proportion of those immigrants must come in through merit and skill. The White House plan makes no change to the number of green cards allocated each year. But instead of admitting people through random chance, we will establish simple 
universal criteria for admission to the United States. No matter where in the world you are born, no matter who your relatives are, if you want to become an American citizen, it will be clear exactly what standard we ask you to achieve. It will be made crystal clear. This will increase the diversity of immigration flows into our country. We will replace the existing green card categories with a new visa, the Build America visa, which is what we all want to hear. Like Canada and so many other modern countries, we create an easy-to-navigate points-based selection system. You will get more points for being a younger worker, meaning you will contribute more to our social safety net. You will get more points for having a valuable skill, an offer of employment, an advanced education, or a plan to create jobs. We lose people that want to start companies, and in many cases, they're forced to leave our country, go back usually to the country where they came from, and they'll start up companies, and some of those companies are among the biggest and most successful companies today in the world. They could have started them right here in the United States, where they wanted to do it in the first place. Now, they'll have a chance. And this comes down to the example I gave of my cousin. He's a great chef. If I opened up a restaurant and offered him head chef position, he'd be able to come in. He has a job offer. He's got a skill that can contribute. Done. On the other hand, if my cousin saves money while he's working, he's, uh, what, 28 years old now, right? He, he was the baby. <laughs> um, He's 28 years old. So if he actually saves money and decides, hey, I want to come to America and open up my restaurant. This is my resume. This is where I trained. Uh, this is what I've been doing. And I want to open up a restaurant. He's going to be creating jobs. So yes, why not come here? Show us your European Greek fusion, you know, uh, cuisine and add to, add to the community that you will visit and reside in. And what he said about being a young worker means, I mean, we can't have someone that's 60 years old, you know, come into the country uh, and say, well, I want to start a business. I mean, we can, but what are the odds of him actually, you know, creating more? Well, he could, he could, but then he'd be on Medicare at 65. So then he'd be, <laughs> he wouldn't have paid enough. And then there's going to be more stipulations on that. And then we'd have to take care of him because he's elderly. So it sounds so mean when you have to pick, but the bottom line is what's best for the country. I mean, you've lived somewhere for 65 years. Why are you moving now? So it, it is a point based system to make sure that we get people that one want to come to America to prosper and to have the skills to contribute. We don't need people here that will be living off of federal taxpayer dollars. For example, we have Somalis that come here, 
right? They come in through their family that have come in as refugees in Minnesota. And what they do is the refugees or these foreigners, they apply for aid and they're given housing where they pay something like $500 a month for rent. And then they get food stamps and then they open up a business and they use their food stamp card to go buy sodas and snacks or whatever, and then stock their shop with federal tax dollars and keep it to themselves. On top of that, we also give them cars. We give them free health care. And they and that's how they abuse the system. They abuse this. And we don't need people that will abuse our system. Our social welfare system is there, you know, for society. So social security, social welfare. And, you know, I really hate the word social. We should call it like American assistance program. Uh, you know, uh, federal retirement program rather than social. Maybe, maybe I'll write a letter to the president and say that. Don't like the way it's called. So this is how we can, you know, empower our future generations that can be coming from all over the world and create more prosperous Americans. You know, I'm, I'm first generation. My father came here and worked he worked, he created businesses, jobs, you know, he worked, he contributed. My mother did the same. She came here a little bit more educated, got her MBA. Uh, she worked at a bank, you know, within the United States, like my family contributed. She didn't create jobs, but my dad did. He was an entrepreneur. He was a furrier. Um, so he created a lot of jobs, a lot of jobs. And, and then he gave birth to children within the United States, three of them. And then, you know, obviously my brother has passed, but, uh, I've said that before, so it's not obvious. I'm just saying my, my, my brother did pass, uh, 11 years ago. Uh, so then, you know, myself and my sister both served in the armed forces. Both of us are contributing to society. And then we go on to create the next generation of that first, you know, we're first generation. Now my children are second generation, I guess, Greek, but first generation British, right? <laughs> Cause it's the first of my, my husband's just migrated here. He's not an American citizen though. And I don't think he wants to be. So this is, this is a good seller plan. Now, there's a lot going around in regards to Trump. They're saying Trump plans to invoke the Insurrection Act to boot illegal immigrants. Aha. So Daily Caller reported this yesterday and um, said that he is planning to use the Insurrection Act to remove illegal immigrants from the United States. According to multiple senior administration officials, the president intends to invoke the tremendous powers of the act to remove illegal immigrants from the country. We're doing the insurgent act, one official said. So under this act, which was enacted in 1807, he would have the authority to send the National Guard or the military to, um, you know, pacify a situation. Uh, so legally, just so you guys understand, <coughs> The Insurrection Act is, is, a, is a set of laws. It's not just one. And it was passed in 1807 um, for the ability of the president to deploy military troops within the United States to, you know, calm down situations like lawlessness. Kind of like we saw in Ferguson, you know, where the National Guard went, um, you know, but obviously it was state National Guard, so it wasn't federal. We're talking federal on this level. Now, the Atlantic published saying, oh, the president can't really do it uh, because Congress, you know, has to. But here's the thing. If we're dumping 
1,500 illegal migrants into Palm Beach, Florida. How quickly will they beg for calling forth our militia to execute the laws of the union down there? Pretty quick, right? Because lawlessness is a very big problem. It is a huge problem. And so uh, I guess by allowing them to go to specific areas and having them realize what an invasion really looks like, because when you drop a lot of migrants in cities that are at capacity, because the president has said it, we're full. We don't have room in the detention centers. We don't have the financial ability to maintain and, 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 and feed all these people. We're full and no one's getting it and they're demanding open borders and the Democrats are still funding. Additionally, Washington Schultz, we know how you're funding these caravans. So they're funding these caravans. They're pushing that agenda. They're funding these organizations that are allowing people to file fake asylum claims. And you know what? Out of the thousand claims that they'll get within an hour, 10 are probably bona fide asylum claim. 10 of them. So those get swept up and people that really need asylum aren't going to get it because we have all these losers pretending to do so. It's kind of like um, people who get welfare. You know, how many of them, have you guys ever been to like social security uh, to, to get welfare? I had years ago when my husband was fired and I was in medical school with two kids, uh, until he could get another job. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And I went to apply for food stamps. Guys, these people had Cadillac Escalades. They had, you know, the latest cell phones. And I'm thinking, what, uh, you know, I really wish I didn't pay my tuition up front. <laughs> I really wish I didn't pay my, you know, cause I like to pay like my little child. She was in care. Uh, she was very young. She was like, uh, you know, four years old and I had her in Montessori and I had prepaid for the whole year. Like the minute I had the cash and saved it up because at that point I was still dealing with my brother's death and, um, you know, Medicaid coming at us in New York saying that we have to pay his debt. So it was a little bit of a hot mess, but anyway, and I went there and guys, I was on the system for like 30 days, but I felt so, it felt so wrong to see these people with Cadillacs and, you know, top notch cell phones. I still had a flip phone at that time. Okay. And you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, surely they can't be in need. I mean, just the insurance on a car like that is a lot, you know, wow what's going on? I'm driving around in my, you know, dingy little, you know, minivan, mom Chrysler van, and they've got Escalades up the bejeez and they're asking for handouts. This is what happens. This is what happens at the border. You've got people that really just need help. You know, they need help. These people want to come in because they are being persecuted or they're victims of human trafficking or, or, or whatever it is. And they come, but they're congested with all these fake claims that they're never going to get in. The people that would actually get in can't get in. And that's because the Democrats are paying people to train them to what to say. This is why we have bogus claims. This is a big issue, guys, a big issue. So I'm pretty glad that he's doing this now, shifting a little bit on gears I was, it was brought to my attention, um, just before the show and I wasn't going to talk about it because I didn't know about it, but apparently you guys remember, um, Ohio, the, the Ohio state university where, um, the coach 
was like molesting male athletes. The you know, do you remember that? Uh, well, NBC released saying that uh, you know, and ironically, that's Jim Jordan's school. Remember, and Jim Jordan was like, "Well, nothing happened to me," and you know, I don't know what it is. But guess who was investigating that? Perkins Coy. I want to know how Perkins Coy was was the law firm that was picked to conduct the independent investigation. Perkins Coy that stymied the FBI from getting the DNC exchange server from Hillary Clinton. Perkins Coy that represented the DNC, Hillary Clinton, Obama, paid Fusion GPS, paid CrowdStrike, right? Perkins Coy that represented Backpage.com and Navixum. Those are the people that they chose to go to the university where Rep Jim Jordan was. Remember how they tried to implicate Jim Jordan by saying that, oh, he didn't talk about it or he didn't say anything. So the law firm was picked. Who picked it? Who paid them? Who made that choice? This is These are little nuances that are pretty interesting if you take a look at it. Uh, interesting to the fact that, uh, you know, <laughs> they're out of, out of everyone, they pick a law firm to do the investigation. Um, that's just, come on, let that sink in for a second. Now, um, shifting gears again, before we get into the real good stuff in the second hour, I wanted to tell you guys yesterday, I did advise you on air that president Trump was meeting, uh, with, uh, Switzerland's president, if you remember. So he met with Maurer. And it's the first time ever that a Swiss president is invited to the White House. Now, this Swiss president, just so you guys know, prior to his visit to the White House, actually had a state visit in China. And uh, he created, he went there just like Putin did, just like many other leaders from nations who are part of the uh, Belt and Road team. So basically the Belt and Road team is like um, an initiative, a project that China piloted. And I talked about it a little bit, which is to recreate the Silk Road, which would allow China to kind of um, establish uh, a trade route of Silk Road going all the way through Europe and Asia, um, which requires a lot of investment. So we had people from Singapore, Hungary, everywhere go. Now, the United States is not part of this group, but uh, the United States did send lower-level delegates. But in this meeting, uh, the people that were there are all presidents or prime ministers. So Maurer, when he was there, um, he said... And I quote, many Westerners may have been concerned about China's rapid development because it's greater than what they expected. Um, And that is important that he said it. But he said, but they should respect China's great achievement as only in this way can the two sides have a good basis for dialogue. Any attempt to close the door of conversation would be wrong. Now, why is he saying this? One might say, and of course, CNN um, uh, Asia, it was CNN Singapore that I heard it on, where they were like, oh, this was a direct job at the president of the United States, putting on all these, you know, um, tariffs and trade wars, but that's not what he was referring to. So what he was referring to is a lot of people are concerned. China is developing, has developed rapidly. And Pompeo made that clear at the Arctic Council meeting. They have 
develop really rapidly. And they are now trying to coax all these countries that are along the original Silk Road to invest a tremendous amount of money. We're talking in the trillions to establish this um, connected trade route, kind of like what they did with Russia with that direct railway, you know, rail line. So uh, this, this, um, the belt and road initiative is to develop these relationships between Europe and Asia. And ideally it would create a more Eurasian type of economy. Now what fears the European union is, well, what fears the West is, is that their plan was always to become a more social place, socialized. They are, they have socialism. I mean, the United Kingdom, it's all socialism. We know this in Europe, it's all socialism. And so Globalization, one might say, is the key for global development. But what degree of globalization? Do you just make everyone vanilla? Or do you all work together to create global development? Because a uh, direct trade route from China to span out through all the way to the tip of Europe hitting the Atlantic would be amazing. Uh, you know, the Europeans can hop on their products and send them off to China. The Chinese can hop on theirs and send them off to, to, to Europe. No problem. It's great, right? It's a great idea, but it doesn't work. And the reason is it doesn't work is because China, different from that of the Western nations, does not superimpose laws in their country because others are doing them. So if there's regulations like FDA regulations that we have here, let's just pretend they have their own, well, not pretend they do. They have different regulations in Europe. China may have to be superimposed to change their regulations to agree with, I don't know, maybe they use trains on this route, right? So they might say your train should only use one gallon of gas. I'm just saying an hour. And the Chinese are like, well, I'm not going to change that law in my country to make sure that they're done like this because you say so. And then the trade deal breaks uh, because they don't waver. So the Chinese are looking and are actually leading in technology, um, but they're also covertly trying to ensure that they have a stronghold on it. This is where intellectual property kicks in. Anyway, so... Uh, so that on that, China's pretty much, uh, uh, Switzerland is pretty much standing neutral on that. Now, here's the kick, okay? So we all know with the EU, we're discussing trade agreements. We're not doing their NAFTAs and whatnot. We don't want them, and we're talking. But the European Union, like I said to you, we're not going to be trading with them. We are at war with them, and people are just not getting it yet. Now, what President Trump did yesterday was when he spoke with the president of Switzerland, he was telling him that he wants to work out a free trade deal and he wants to get it done quickly, faster than that with the European Union. Now, um, details have not been revealed on that, but that is what he said. President Maurer actually said to the press after the meeting, well, he thinks that we should accelerate uh, the issue in regards to trade between Switzerland and the United States. And Switzerland, on um, on a scale of who invests within the U.S., like, you know, treasury securities, et cetera, they're the seventh largest foreign investor. Um, and they've um, their total investments exceed $300 billion. So um, Swiss and U.S. trades and goods and services is not a lot. I mean, in 2017, it was just uh, just a hair over $120 billion. 
So it's not a lot. So what we need to do is create a better trade agreement, maybe lock them into something and then work around that with Europe. Now, one thing they did discuss is <clears throat> it's something that people don't know is that since the eighties, uh, that, uh, Switzerland actually offers, um, consulate services to the United States citizens. So if you're a U.S. citizen and you're in Tehran, you know, you go to the Swiss embassy for assistance or protection. So there's about 12,000 people, um, that are, uh, Iranian American that live there. So they would be able to get assistance and in, you know, a hundred us citizens according to the report um within iran that switzerland will be would always be providing consular services to now the two leaders also discussed like the middle east and venezuela and remember switzerland is always neutral so switzerland said that they would um be able to play a role for the united states consular services in venezuela but they're waiting for approval from Venezuela to do that. So instead of having a U.S. embassy in Venezuela, now that they're all, you know, panties in a twist right now at the moment, uh, we've asked Switzerland, hey, can you do the same thing you do in Iran? Can you be the neutral party and look after our citizens or our uh, Venezuelan Americans? And so, but the thing is, Switzerland is waiting for approval because you know, they have to approve that they could do it. Now, they also talked about Huawei tech and Switzerland always said, you know, we don't use foreign products in our infrastructure. I mean, private goods like cell phones and stuff that people have and, and other electronics, they may have, we have Huawei in uh, Switzerland, but we do not at all ever have any other foreign electronics in our infrastructure. What a, what a crazy idea, right guys? Don't buy foreign chips. Don't buy foreign software. Don't hire foreign people to do your work. There was an article that I wrote out in Big League Politics demonstrating to you guys that the FBI face services, um, you know, where they collate all your information into like a citizen log was actually outsourced to a company in France that then outsourced it to Russia. So we had Russians coding FBI software. I mean, so right now we have Russian code sitting at the FBI collating and analyzing and, and, and formulating, um, you know, structures for potential algorithms going forward with Russian code. And then they complain, oh, we got hacked. Well, you're letting them write your code. Of course you're going to get hacked. So it was pretty interesting that we saw the president of Switzerland totally unannounced, totally impromptu turn up. That was a big deal. And I think it was more about the fact of saying, yo, we're not going to have American citizens down there. Things are really heating up in Venezuela. Would you take care of them for us? Because our embassy can't. And so it's great to see us with Switzerland to have great relations because Switzerland, something that a lot of people don't know, has a lot to do with our initiative of Space Force. Space Force and the great unknown abyss. When we get back, we're going to talk about these Flynn unsealed documents and what they revealed. I'll see you in a bit.
Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the second half of the Tory Sess Show. I'm your host, Tory. So we're going to talk about one of my favorite people I've encountered in my life and that has been a victim of this Russia collusion hoax. This backup plan that they had um, implemented years ago for anyone. I mean, they even like spied on Cruz thinking, well, what if, you know, Cruz is a wild card and takes the nomination? But General Flynn... An amazing guy. Uh, you know, when I saw him be forced retired, I cried. I literally cried because what he had done for our nation up until then, yeah, albeit, you know, he's a general and there's a lot of things that he just, you know, he purses his mouth when he doesn't want to talk. Um, he's a really good guy. So, what I want to say is, I've seen today so many people, so many people, literally jump on the not Flynn train. And you know, they say, well, President Trump tweeted something. If you look, you will see all these people jumping the MAGA ship. They really don't get it. The president clearly just tweeted, it now seems that General Flynn was under investigation long before was common knowledge. It would have been impossible for me to know that, but it was the case. And with me being one of the two people who would become president, why was I not told so that I can make a change? Like, if General Flynn was so bad, why didn't you tell me? And I take it back to the defensive briefing. This is a big deal. This will be key to impeach Obama. There was no defensive briefing. But let's talk about the documents. Let me tell you what no one has seen. And then in the last half hour, I'll share the tidbits that I should be publishing um, later on this, uh, later on today, which is shocking. So let's take a look at the documents that were released yesterday. No big deal. They started talking about WikiLeaks, but they didn't really get into it. It's like, oh, you kind of knew about it. So I did too. Does that mean that I should be under investigation? Um, The fact that um, supposedly the administration reached out to Flynn, but they didn't give details. They just put it out there. And the details of that outreach to Flynn's lawyer, I will actually read to you the transcript I have of the voicemail that they're referring to about the administration reaching out to him, which is not a big Deal. It is a complete nothing burger. It's a lawyer leaving another lawyer a message and it's a hundred percent benign. So now we see that they released, um, uh, the unsealed, the unsealed document basically is showing, um, uh, a white house security briefing with bills pre and Mike Steinbach from the 21st of January. Okay. 
So um, what they, the memo that was typed says that it was typed shortly after they spoke with General Flynn. And um, it's being put down how, um, you know, he called Flynn. um, No, Flynn called him from a secure phone to his number. And talking briefly about the security briefing, Mike Steinbeck and Bill Priestap provided to White House staff on Sunday. He told Flynn that he had a sensitive matter to discuss with him. He explained that in light of significant media coverage and public discussion about his recent contacts with Russian representatives, the director Comey and him felt that they needed to have like a couple of his agents sit down with the general and hear from him the details of these conversations. Now, now I'm going to tell you that this was a setup 1 million percent. Because a key player was revealed here that a lot of people don't see. And we're going to take it back all the way to Carlin. All the way to Carlin. John Carlin. Everybody forgets about him and George Toscas. You are going to have to take it back a notch. And you're going to see today when I was looking into this person that was revealed. And last night I kind of put in a, a mill of the run on the Chan board to dig up documents that are stored there on different boards to find, you know, I let it run in the background and I mine some real gold, uh, some real gold that'll implicate Yahoo and it implicates, um, AOL. It implicates, geez, it's just incredible. So anyway, um, Flynn had explained to him, yeah, he was trying to build relationship with the Russians and he had uh, calls, which he, ex- uh, you know, exchanged condolences. So it's like, you know, just typical talk, man. You know, when you're a general, you're kind of a politician too, because you kind of have to pacify all the clowns in Congress, Senate, and in uh, the White House because they don't get military. So you're kind of, you know, a, a diplomat. And you know what? General Flynn was a diplomat, is a diplomat. Um, Um, The times that I've run into him are at embassies. So hello. Anyway. um, So anyway, he said, uh, Flynn asked him, like, how much information has been made public? And if he thought that that had been leaked. And he said we were they were concerned about um, what. um, Oh, he replied. He replied telling him that they were quite concerned about what they perceived as significant leaks. So Flynn was like, well, hold on a second. What do you mean? Like what's been leaked? Like what's the public talking about? Like, do you think something specific has been leaked? And so, you know, I would ask that, too. Because I'm incoming into this administration, I'm fresh, I just got onto the job, and you're telling me that people are leaking things. Like, what's going on? So uh, he expressed to him that he wanted um, agents to interview him and that they were going to be coming up. Okay, now here's where it gets really cool. So we see that the, the if you look at the documents that were revealed, the special counsel, Mueller, the exit interview with Strzok. Now, I'm telling you that one was probably done by Weissman. Um, That's who probably signed it. But it says that Peter Strzok was deputy assistant director, okay? And uh, he, um, and and he's interviewing him. Uh, Apparently him and another special agent um, are, 
in the interview with a senior assistant special counsel and a supervisory special agent are in on that interview, part of Mueller's team, for the purpose to collect information regarding Sistrock's involvement in various aspects of what has now become the special counsel's investigation. So Strzok provided the following information. So this um, exit interview, exit interview, so they were done with Strzok on July 19, 2017. Exit interview. Um, so they finished the Mueller investigation. Are you paying attention in regards to Flynn in July of 2017? Okay. So that was done with Strzok. So Strzok was involved, uh, in many FBI investigations that were then taken over by the special counsel. He was in, uh, in the investigations regarding the then national security advisor, general Michael Flynn, obviously. And we know a lot of a lot more and at various times Strzok and then FBI director Comey brief deputy attorney general and acting attorney general, uh, Sally Yates. And other DOG represent, DOJ representatives uh, of the entire span of the FBI's Russian election interference collusion investigation. So Strzok would meet with the Deputy Attorney General slash Acting Attorney General Sally Yates. Because she was deputy and then she was acting, right? Okay. And so in there, it has a redacted portion. Now, in that redacted portion, I'm telling you, Carlin's name is in there too. And George Tosca's name is in there too. And it says that struck that they and struck work closely with multiple DOJ national security division NSD attorneys and acting NSD assistant attorney general, Mary McCord. Now let's keep in mind, Mary McCord knew about the Kislyak meeting way before it was ever leaked. Okay, she knew about it. So I'm going to reinforce this in just a second, just so that you can see where it is. So it also shows through these documents, through this um, uh, interview with uh, Strzok, his exit interview, that James Baker, right, the general counsel for the FBI, actually advised the FBI and McCabe and them to not tell General Flynn that, um, you know, it's a crime to lie during an FBI interview because they wanted him to be relaxed and concerned that giving any warnings might adversely affect the rapport. So they deliberately didn't tell him this is like a formal interview. They wanted it to seem like we're just like having a chat. And... Um, you know, Flynn, you know, after a phone call and then people coming up at 2.30, he was just kind of like, all right, well, what's going on? Yeah, let's talk about this. Because he saw it more as mitigation. See, in the military, when a meeting is held in an informal, you know, environment, like say, for example, you know, you know that some intelligence you have for some insurgents uh, has been compromised, Um you know, you can have a formal hearing um, if there's going to be a strategy to 
to change course, right? So, but before that, everybody just gets together, grabs cigarettes. You could be in pajamas and flip-flops. Nobody cares. And you sit there and you informally brain, brainstorm and chit-chat and talk it out and try to figure out if there's alternative strategies. How bona fide is this? Has it been compromised? Are they telling us it's compromised and it's wrong intel? And who told us that it's compromised? Maybe we should look into that. And so it's like a brainstorming. So how General Flynn... you know, um, considered this was very relaxed and more so of a mitigation, like, Oh, something's going out in the press and we need to mitigate because, you know, they're going to spin it as somehow. So he thought that they were there to help him, you know, parse out. Is there anything that you're not telling us, uh, you know, that could be a problem that could be spun somehow. And he's like, I just don't remember if there's anything. And they supposedly were trying to refresh his memory because they already knew. They already knew. They already knew. So they were like, yeah, we were trying to refresh his memory. We even used, you know, his exact words, um, but it didn't strike a chord for him, you know, because it was obviously not um, a covert discussion. So say, for example, I call you and I want to tell you something, um, you know, on the down low, something that I know is wrong. I'm going to remember what I told you. I'm going to be careful of the words that I use. Sometimes on air, I want to say something and I'm like, I have to be careful of the words I use. And and, And I structure them in a way where they're more sanitized and more benign, right? That's the same way he would have responded. Um, He would have remembered if he used any sanitized or specific structure of words when speaking with Kislyak, if it was something, you know, detrimental to national security. If it's something like, yeah, you know, look forward to working with you, man. How's the wife? Or, you know, oh, I got this new top. Hey, you know, I got a new haircut, haircut at the barbershop. Like you just, you're just talking and creating fr- friendly rapport because you know you're going to be working with each other. You don't obviously exchange intelligence information. What they were trying to misconstrue is that the benign statements, and I can't confirm or deny that I've seen them, were supposedly uh something that would put national security at risk when they really weren't. It's kind of like taking something out of context, say, yeah, okay, I, I could probably see where you see it, but the whole conversation around that one phrase doesn't mean that. It's like saying, oh, I totally love Doritos. I would kill for one, especially if I can have some salsa. And then you take the sentence, I would kill for one, and say, okay, I can, I can get where you're coming with the whole threat thing and being really aggressive, but I was talking about Doritos. So I'm just trying to let you get into the whole climate of this. So anyway, Strzok was like, yeah, he didn't, I don't think he was lying. You know, we've seen that before. Right. Um, and the funny thing is, is that when Strzok went back to the FBI headquarters and told McCabe and, um, and briefed McCabe and Baker on the interview, um, McCabe then told Comey. Now, here's the thing. Somebody else, though, told Obama. I'll, I'll, I'll get into that later. So Strzok was aware that Baker and um, Matt Axelrod argued about um, – the FBI deciding that they're just going to interview him. Like Axelrod was like, what are you doing? You can't just do that. You didn't tell the guy he's being interviewed officially. You can't do that. This is going to be a compromise. But, um, and then after that, uh, Yates and McCord were briefed, um, 
you know, um, so they briefed the White House on the Flynn calls too. So McCord, big deal here on McCord. So here's where I want to say. So in the special counsel's report, because you can read it, uh, you can find the voicemail or the communications that they say that the administration had with Flynn that could have swayed him from doing something. This is so stupid. So stupid. It's like saying, you know, if your friend, because listen to it, let me just read it to you. Here's the voicemail that was left to General Flynn's counsel, his lawyers, right? So the lawyer of the White House, right? The president's personal lawyer left the voicemail for Flynn's personal lawyer, okay? And it says, I'm reading it, the transcript. I understand your situation, but let me see if I can't state it in starker terms. Um, it would be, it wouldn't surprise me if you had gone to make a deal with the government. If there's information that implicates the president, then we've got a national security issue. So, you know, we need some kind of heads up, um, just for the sake of protecting all our interests. If we can remember what we've always said about the president and his feelings toward Flynn. And that still remains the same. So what do you, what do you like? Think about it. What does that tell you? To me, it says, yo, I love Flynn. This is really screwed up that this is happening to him. And I get it if he wants to cut a deal or whatever, because they've got him trapped on all corners. I get it. But if there's something that implicates the president, this is a national security thing. So you as a lawyer need to tell me as a lawyer so that way I can advise my client. This happens all the time. This is not obstruction. This is not, you know, giving a heads up or coercing, you know, coercion against Flynn. This is saying, I love you. I'm praying for you. I know this sucks. I'm so sorry. But, you know, if anything comes out of that that says that there is a problem and it is a national security concern, you need to give me a heads up so that I know at least. Um, because at that point, the president had no idea what they had on general Flynn. Like they didn't even tell him, Hey, you know, yeah, he, he like in, you know, talk with Kislyak and he'd like, you know, chatted and it's a big issue. Um, so that, that is the, that is the problem. That is a really, really big problem because this is a Russian ambassador in the same place. I mean, come on, but here's where it goes really, really weird. So like I said, the funky part is McCord because McCord was in on this and she knew about it in the document. If you parse it out where, you know, they had uh, a conversation, supposedly, um, Russia responded Russia. So basically here's the thing. Um, McCord was looking into Russia because they were putting in sanctions against them. At some point, like way before this interview, way before anything. McCord being in the National Security Division was already looking into it. Now, while they were looking into, you know, Russia doesn't care that we're pushing sanctions on, you know, um, 
because of this, what's going on? Why aren't they doing it? They started to look around and poke around as to why they're not really responding. Like they were like, whatever, nobody cares. This is bullshit. We don't care. So they didn't respond. So they were like, well, why aren't they responding? So that is supposedly how they were aware that Flynn had a discussion with Kislyak. And before that, before they could say they opened up an investigation on Flynn because of his relationship with the gov- the Russian government. And Flynn's contacts with Kislyak became the key component of the investigation. So the FBI is claiming, okay, that they had opened up an investigation on Flynn way before, way before, way before the Kislyak uh, conversation was was even on the table that they'd even seen it so they had no idea that they talked with Kislyak they went digging for stuff supposedly they tripped on it over um you know Russia not responding now how do I know this it's because it's in McCord's 302 McCord's 302 literally states that McCord's 302 states that that is how it happened It clearly states that the that the FBI had opened up the investigation based on Flynn's relationship with the Russian government, but she, on her 302 that was taken two days prior to, Stro- to Strzok's exit interview, exit interview that they had with Mueller, on the 17th of July, she made it clear that the FBI had already started investigating because they came across Kislyak's conversation with Flynn way later. This is huge. So what people don't seem to understand that there's something called the chain of command, the chain of the chain of custody. And here's where we have the concerns that this chain of command uh, wasn't appropriately done, uh, wasn't appropriately done correctly. They started the investigation on Flynn a long time ago. So why did they initiate an investigation on Flynn in the first place and then decide, oh, yeah, we're not going to look into that anymore. We're just going to focus on the Kislyak thing because They opened up an investigation into Flynn with nothing. So they just grabbed onto this by finding something like this on accident. That is what is important here. I think someone's car is like beeping outside my office and it's driving me insane, you guys. So I apologize for that. So you have to think. In the end, in the end, what's going to come out of this? I mean, we have that Flynn was um, falsely accused of crimes. They entrapped him. They started an investigation way before they talked about an investigation on him. So this means that they were looking into Flynn way before that. They even drug up old stuff from like the 2013, 2014, you know, putting it forward as to why he was resigned resigned it because he knows where all the bodies are he's he's totally fine he has nothing to worry about nothing to worry about the 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 thing that people need to understand is that this uh unredacted document implicates more people than we thought in the first place this implicates people that you never thought will be going to jail where is mary mccord right now and i can tell you something the russians and the sanction she is referring to how would you like to know that that has to do in some part with crowdstrike i am going to show you how this 
has all been a bona fide cover-up. A cover-up for Hillary Clinton, a cover-up for what she's been doing. It is the most disgusting uh, put-together thing you've ever seen. A FISA warrant that was issued on Flynn. FISA warrant issued on Flynn. That is a problem. FISA warrant prior to Kislyak, prior to Kislyak. So this means throughout the campaign period, they were monitoring Flynn. They were monitoring Flynn and supposedly Mary McCord came across that Flynn and Kislyak had a passing conversation together. Really? Who believes that? Because I don't believe that. Who believes that? Who believes that that is the way that that went down? Honestly, I don't think anybody would believe that. So this is where it goes that McCord actually went and briefed the White House after this. So I want to read out a portion of this. On January 26, 2017, Acting Attorney General Sally Yates contacted the White House counsel, McGahn, and told him that she needed to discuss a sensitive matter with him in person. This is in regards to Flynn. Later that day, McCord and Yates... Uh, met with the White House, uh, met at the White House with McGahn and um, the White House counsel's office attorney, uh, Burnham. So Yates said that the public statements made by Vice President denying that Flynn and Kislyak discussed sanctions were not true and put Flynn in a potentially compromised situation because the Russians would know that he lied. Hold on. So here's the thing. So sanctions that were imposed on Russia for the supposed Russian hacking, okay? We're going to CrowdStrike now, okay? We're going to CrowdStrike now. We're going to CrowdStrike, but it's before CrowdStrike. And I'll tell you why we're going to CrowdStrike. Because someone was arrested for a crime from before. Someone was being persecuted from a cybercrime from before that, guess what, was paid and hired by CrowdStrike to mitigate the DNC hack. Oh, my gosh. And they're Canadian. So that's a clue. So Yates said that the the statements would actually compromise and that the Russians would know. And Yates even went further to disclose that Flynn had been interviewed with the FBI. Like she told the White House then, the FBI interviewed him. And she declined to answer any questions about how he did at the interview. Like, what did he say? How did he do? Like, did 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 he implicate himself? Is he in trouble? And they declined to say nothing. We'll get into this and CrowdStrike and McCord, and the big Russia hoax just after the break. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, Hey, try this. Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. 
Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194, promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with My Pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. Um, so here's where we dive deep. So I'm just going to finish off um, what was in the report. So I left you off at the fact that Yates and McCord went, met with uh, McGann and Burnham, and they kind of told him what was going on. McGann, it says, and this is like speculation, obviously, McGann came away from the meeting with the impression that the FBI had not been flinned down in lies, but asked John Eisenberg, who served as legal advisor to the National Security Council, to examine potential legal issues raised by Flynn's FBI interview and his contacts with Kislyak. So it was like, all right, they're not telling me anything. And the fact that they're not telling me anything is that they've got him cornered. What happened? Now, here's where Tori's going to tell you what happened. So um, we all know that CrowdStrike was paid for by the DNC. We also know that, uh, and this is like, nobody's telling you this. I discovered this today through some back channel. It was like awesome. So McCord has been working in the National Security Division for a while. And what's funny is Carlin submits his 702, um, you know, uh, notifications. And I've talked about this before. I've told you how, you know, he gave the FISA 702 um, documents and then the certifications. And uh, he resigned the day after he gave them. And that was like, you know, um, 
something that they had to do because they were caught. Admiral Rogers had brought it to the attention and Rosemary Collier, like I told you, had spanked them like nobody's business in September for um, withholding information. So here's where Brennan comes in. So this is getting really, really good because a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, they unsealed a few documents from Flint. It has nothing to do with Flynn. Did that leave it alone? The redactions that were removed or the unsealed documents that came out show you that Brennan is done. And he's toast, coupled with the fact that yesterday I wrote out an article that Italy just purged their intelligence community. And who's being harbored in Italy? Misfud. So this is where the cookie starts to crumble like crazy. So we've got the 702 certifications. Carlin files them and then he resigns. And so obviously Mary McCord succeeded him who, you know, took his position as National Security Division Council, right? Super awesome. So these are politically appointed people. Remember that. And John Carlin and, and Tuscus were politi- politically motivated always. And even in Paige's testimony, we see where she said it was atypical for someone that's elected or appointed or a political appointee to talk to the FBI about stuff. But yet they were constant in communication with McCabe to get this done. Okay, they've reached out to McCabe many, many times. Remember, Carlin was Tosca's boss. So Tosca, so so McCord was then whose boss? Tosca's boss. And with all this Preet Bahara stuff that happened, telling you McCord is in the center and why. So what we need to pay attention to is the beginning of 2017, right before she resigned. Okay, right before she resigned, they went after Russians for hacking Yahoo. Now, we all know and people um, don't really pay attention. And I'm kind of shocked because um, I would have thought people pay attention. But think Hussein, Clinton, the rest of the administration, staff, all use private email addresses. If you remember, WikiLeaks had posted a bunch of contacts from Brennan's emails that were AOL and some were Yahoo, right? So we had a hack at Yahoo, which is, uh, you know, with AOL. Do you guys remember that? Okay. So there were Russians. There was this young little boy, a young boy, who lived in Canada, who was born in Kazakhstan, that supposedly um, was in a lot of trouble. He only got five years, though, um, because he was selling information to the Russians that hacked um, the Yahoo servers. Who's, who's, who are the target accounts? We don't know yet. See, they haven't made that uh, evidence available to us. They haven't made it available to us so we know who these Russians that were supposedly FSB targeting. So Kareem. Kareem is um, a young, young person who lives in Canada and is supposedly a big hacker. Actually, he, he moved to Canada when he was 12. He's very good at coding, and he was actually paid by CrowdStrike. And guess, um, guess who doesn't have their name properly put on documents on who forensically checked the code to say that it was Russian that hacked it? Yeah, you guessed it. So she came after him. She came after him 
because he breached Yahoo and supposedly got emails. He was given a, a task to do emails. He got paid like $104 to, 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 to penetrate emails, just so you guys know. He got $104. They tried to implicate Russia in it, and they're like, dude, like, what are you talking about? Like, why would we even care? Like, this is like loser stuff. Like, if it was some big deal, why did they only pay him $104? Like, is he that dumb? Come on, guys. Think about it. So they staged this whole thing to say that this boy was a hacker and we found him in 2017. And he worked with the Russians. Why? They nailed him with five years, which he's out now. I, well, his sentencing was delayed because President Trump caught on. And this is why McCord got fired. So this little boy got five years. His sentencing was extended. And this is, you know, this stems back to Alexei Balan, Igor Sushin, Dmitry Dukatev. Think about it. So this young boy, Karim, in, you know, Canada has, you know, all these fancy cars, has a really nice house. He's like 22, right? But he's only got, you know, $100. Nobody knows where the other money and the $200,000 he had in one account came from. <laughs> I can tell you where it came from. Perkins Coy. Listen, guys, he's the one that did the code. He's the one that put the code together for CrowdStrike. This little boy. So here's what they did. They got insurance on Kareem. They've already implicated him with Russians. They've implicated him with Russians when he had nothing to do with the Russians, except for some email from like 2013 or 2014 when he was a little kid because he's 22 now. So he was a minor at that time where he was getting Yahoo email passwords through phishing emails. Pay attention. Think about it. It's 2018 and he's 22 now. So let's go back to 2013. How old was he? 17, 16, 17, when he got with Russians that were FSB, that worked with Russia to hack Yahoo accounts? Think. So this guy has millions of dollars. He has a $900,000 home in Canada. He's got fancy cars, Mercedes. I think he has like an Austin Martin too. Um, tons of cash. Nobody knows where it came from. Uh, you know, he was using PayPal, which was called Elite Space Something Something. Hold on. I can find it because I've been researching it like crazy. Like it is so amazing. The fact that McCord's name was released gives it everything. And I'll, you know, telling you guys like she was in on it too like she went after this young guy right had him extradited from canada put him on trial and indicted him in march of 2017 just a couple weeks after all this stuff went down because they knew they were in trouble what do you do you get insurance you make him look like a russian agent you make it look like this that what that he penetrated CrowdStrike. Oh, did they not pay him directly? Well, we're, we're going to figure it out because we will follow the money because apparently now they've tried this kid. They sentenced him, but nobody knows where he got all this money from. Like, how is this possible in this day and age not to be able to trace where he got all this cash from? They're lying and they're in trouble. And this is why McCord stepped down. 
because when they indicted this young man, she did not expect the full force of the Trump administration appointed attorneys and real FBI agents, the firing of coke. She did not expect all that. And this is why she left because she knew she was done. She was fired. She tried to frame a young man for something. Yeah, he did do a crime, but he was a minor when it happened. He was a minor when it happened. And she wanted to give him five years for getting a hundred four dollars to give he was given a list of names of what to get like 80 names we don't even know who that list is of what emails and bathroom he only got like seven of them and he fished other ones you know through like erectile dysfunction drugs clicking links you know stuff that they send you in your email so this is what's incredible is that they framed the person that made it look like the russians stole the emails are you paying attention this is massive they framed the kid that was paid by CrowdStrike. And I'm telling you, if people start looking, they'll see. The money came, it went through, through Perkins Coy, CrowdStrike, other funding companies where they outsourced. Remember, outsourced. So this is how they're going to use it. Well, we outsource people to kind of like parse through all the code and see how the hack was done. It wasn't like two people. We like gave it to a bunch of people that were good at coding. And, you know, he was really good at coding. He had a good resume. We didn't think. That's what they're going to tell you. Oh my gosh. We didn't know that he had worked for the Russians. You know, nobody knew about that. You know, this happened in 2017. We didn't know. We didn't know he was on a watch list. Nobody told us. That's what they're going to say. And they're going to say, but you know, because he did it, it was definitely the Russians because he's linked to the Russians already right now. Are you seeing this? So this means Canada is implicated too. Because Canada knows all their people. Canada should know if a young 22-year-old guy has $900,000 home and all these fancy cars, something's up. Especially if they come from Kazakhstan through a working family. You know, he revoked, like a revoked. He um, canceled his Kazakhi citizenship. He didn't want to be Kazakh anymore. He just wants to be Canadian. And Kazakhstan has said it, but yet on federal documents, they're like, he's Kazakh Canadian and he's not. Kazakhstan already told them he's not Kazakh. Anyway, so he's Canadian, but they're saying Kazakh because they need Kazakh to make that connection with Russia, of course. So he's Canadian. Let's make that clear. Canadian, because 12 years ago, he said, I don't want to be Kazakh. He refused his, like, you know, I'm no longer a Kazaki, like signed that paper and sent it off. So he's Canadian, not Kazaki. He's Canadian. And so the Canadians knew exactly who he was. The DNC knew exactly who he was. CrowdStrike knew exactly who he was. And the fact that he was born in Kazakhstan and then migrated at a young age and then, um, you know, got rid of his Kazaki, you know, citizenship is no big deal because they're still calling him Kazaki that he's from Kazakhstan they're still doing it because they need to create this illusion of Russia collusion and that the Russians were after them and that the Russians did this and that and it wasn't CrowdStrike created Chinese code and they were taught how they should make it into Russian code to like rehack and do this little guy did a project he probably didn't even know what he was doing but they framed him to make sure that if they ever got to him, kind of like I got to him now in 2019, three years later, three years and a month later from him being assigned this task, I got to it. I'm pretty sure the administration has got to it. So that is key. 
they have obfuscated and created all these insurance plans to taint anyone that may come up. You know, it's, it's really funny if you think about it. It's, it's, it's incredible that they use private emails. Like who used these emails? Was Hillary Clinton the only one that used these unsecured servers? I mean, they were really adamant about all this hacking, right? Think about it. Awan was Pakistani, right? And he had all these, all this access to their stuff. He's also kind of free. So was he Paki intelligence? I mean, we know Huma is Muslim Brotherhood, right, guys? So we already know this, but think about it. We got a one. Now we got this little young boy that was a minor that helped crowd strike forensically, and I'm using air quotes, examine the DNC server. Think about it. How far does it go? The thing is, Putin took those two Russian nationals and he's tried them for treason and, you know, for meddling uh, with anything U.S. and trying to spy on the U.S. because they were connected to the FSB at some point. He was pissed. And think, think again, at that time when all this was going on, how furious were the Democrats, the deep state, and the rhinos when President Trump was like, yeah, I'm going to meet with Putin and talk. He knows that Putin didn't hack anything. He knows exactly where to look, and I'm pretty sure he knows about Karim too. He definitely knows. So think, our president knows everything. The Department of Justice, the FBI, the NSA, the military, our foreign assets, everything. He knows everything. How she lost the Clinton Foundation. Ding, ding, ding. Did you know that with the Clinton Foundation, there is a connection with McCord? That's even more incredible. That is very, very incredible. I mean, guys, when I put this together for you, you'll freak out. And you know, the Aspen Cyber Conference is even more incredible. You know where they say Schiff met with Glenn Simpson? That's even crazier. Because if you think about it, they all had a meeting of minds at this cyber conference uh, in Colorado and they all exchanged information. Glenn Simpson was there too. McCabe, McCabe, Comey's um, minions, let's say, were there. Schiff was there. Oh, interesting. Let's talk about Schiff. So you guys, Schiff is insanely infatuated with Russia. Did you guys know that before he became like senator, he was uh, an assistant U.S. attorney in California? And do you know that he, uh, his first big, huge win that put him on the map was getting Miller. Miller was supposedly a guy, an FBI agent, who kind of uh, was dating this Russian chick who really liked her, but he had this crazy idea in his mind to become a double agent and get Russian intelligence from her while she thought she was getting intelligence from him. Um, and he just wanted to be James Bond, supposedly. Now, keep in mind, Miller, he uh, there was a hung jury when he was first 
tried and Schiff won. And I'll tell you why, because what a lot of people don't know is that Adam Schiff actually went through training with the CIA. He is actually labeled as a CIA asset. Now, who told me that? I can't tell you. But my source tells me that he is actually part of the intelligence community, and this is why he's always oversight on intelligence community things. And he is in Infatuated with Russia, infatuated with Russia. In fact, when Snowden was uh, being pushed around, you know, to jobs, right? He was, you know, he left the CIA and he worked as a contractor um, on the Dell projects uh, for the NSA. There were just two people that recommended him for the job. First of all, as a contractor, the reason he went into contracting was in order to be able to observe what Dell was doing so that way he can infiltrate for John Brennan's new company because John Brennan had set up a huge privatized spy network in Luxembourg with Saudi money, with Saudi money, Saudi, Saudi, Arab money. So it was like the loser Saudi side. So he created a network with Saudi money and he needed his own person to ensure that we could be infiltrating or in some way Dell computers and other um, electronic systems would have the uh, capacity of backdoors to be able to spy on people. Anyway, so it was at that point that he infiltrated and did impose on computers and systems coding software. He infiltrated system guys. So right now the stuff that Snowden did back then is probably still in our systems now being carried over. Um, that's why he supposedly leaked the Verizon thing because you're not going to look into the work he did. If he's supposedly a champion of privacy, are you getting it now? Because think about it. He was like, I was going to go somewhere to be safe. Then why'd you fly to Hong Kong? You work for the NSA. You're an intelligence. You worked in the intelligence community. Guys, if I was running away, right, and I knew that I had a short window of time, there's no way I'd hop over to Hong Kong and hang out. Be like, oh, now I'm stuck. I'm going to Russia. That's not how I would do it. See, Snowden went to Russia because he realized that once he was out and he did what he needed to do, that they were going to kill him anyway. <laughs> he thought he was safe. They were going to kill him anyway. So he went to Russia because they all hate Russians, right? They all are crazy about Russians because they'll never let them, you know, allow infiltration of Islamism, uh, you know, so that way they can at least com uh, have their people comply to that so they can control. They hate Russia. So he went to Russia because he then realized they're really not your friend and they will kill you when his plan was supposed to be to go to like Ecuador or whatever, where it was more safe. So he lied. He thought that he was safe. He thought that they would look after him. And then he realized they won't, even though mission accomplished. Again, it's like saying, I'm here and I've just released all this information that the United States government is spying on you. So you will not assume that I have made some hardwired changes or have infiltrated or infected systems throughout all of the United States through Dell, right? 
to spy on you if I've just ousted the government that they have been spying on you from your cell phones and hopped the country because I'm, you know, going to be prosecuted. This is a big deal because all of this is going to come to light at some point. And I want to know, Ed, Mr. Snowden, I mean, did you really think that a guy like Brennan, seriously, though, would be a man of his word? None, no person I know that has any sane brain cell in, in their head would ever make the assumption of, well, I'm doing this big thing and they won't take me out because they like me. I know you got backup. I know you got the orders. I know you got the documents. And this is why they haven't killed you yet. Because if they wanted you dead, you'd be dead. But that's the way it goes. He's got his backup, but he really thought that they would let it go, that they would allow him to go. And it didn't work out like that. They just didn't think that he would be smart enough to have different places of storage, which is, you know, John always thought he was smarter than everyone. And this is why he's going to be the hardest to fall. It's going to be like the giant in, uh, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk. He's going to fall so hard. It's going to create a crater in the intelligence community. He's going to be the one that falls the hardest. Now, you know, Horowitz is going to be coming out, I hope Monday or Tuesday, I would assume Tuesday for Horowitz. And that should be coming together with indictments. I think they want to do it in a more slower process uh, because new information is always coming out. It seems like the more pressure that is put on, the more control that the president has, the faster they scurry and they break ranks. And that's exactly how it is. You either flip and move on or you stay there praying that no one's seen you, but we have everything we need. We know everything. There is nothing they can hide. There is nothing they can obfuscate. We have everything. Every single last bit of it, we have. And uh, I believe that the, the deep state now is in such a state, such a state of panic, that they don't know how to respond really they don't know how to respond they are confused they are and and i get it they should be just like all of us are but a lot of people are going to be going to jail that you never thought would be going to jail because you never heard of them like mccord i mean we've heard of her but did you really expect that she would have played such a big role for me I'm going to say it again. The ultimate prize is to have Barack Hussein Obama impeached for all he did. Now, I will be up uploading an article more detailed because it needs a lot just to demonstrate how they entrapped the person who actually executed the CrowdStrike thing. And I think that maybe, maybe, and I'm not sure, so this is pure speculation, that this could be tied back to the FBI because it was Comey and McCord that went after this kid together. So it, it was it was a really big deal, and this could be a really big problem, you know, to have that come up. 
So on that note, I want to wish everyone a fabulous weekend. My little sister's getting married tomorrow. Um, we'll be at the Princeton Club in New York City um, celebrating that after the wedding at the church. Uh, everyone be happy, healthy, um, and diligent. And remember, if it sounds like fake news, it probably is. But don't always say that. Take a listen to everyone and make your own decisions. Don't let other people tell you how to think. Until next week, Monday, I'll see you guys here. Same time, same place, 12 to 2 Eastern time. Always on Red State Talk Radio. God bless. (laughs) 